The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Ruthier, and I want to welcome you all to One Hour at a Time. Today is December 21st, 2015, and I really, uh, on behalf of everybody here at Westbridge, want to, want to wish everybody a happy holiday season. Uh, no matter what it is that you're celebrating, this is a time to connect with others um, and refuel ourselves as we get into the next year. So um, hopefully everybody is out there uh, just getting ready to enjoy the holiday season with uh, people they care about. And, you know, interestingly about the holiday season, it's also a time to think about, you know, where we're at in life sometimes and, um uh, and also a time when you know we may be trying to uh, explore some of our own creative side. And I'm really excited to have our guest today, Katie McRae, who is a licensed clinical social worker and uh, currently employed at Yale University and Yale New Haven Hospital, uh, to be t- speaking to us today on the topic of mindful creativity for client engagement. So Katie is a consultant and educator for therapists, and she provides in-service training as well as online training. Her current fields of interest uh, include technology for therapists, including HIPAA compliance for email and texting, as well as mindful creativity, which is a technique of blending art-making with meditation. Uh, Mindfulness practices like centering and guided meditations that are practiced at the beginning of a therapy session can really help uh, help people calm their thoughts and their bodies, and as a result, they're better able to make associations and interpretations. And by using a different and more visual-based part of the brain than in regular talk therapy, so uh, we're excited to be able to explore this topic in some more detail. And uh, without any further ado, I want to welcome you, Katie, to our show today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome, and we're we're excited to to learn more. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and the work you do with with mindful creativity. Oh, okay, so as you mentioned, I uh, work at Yale New Haven Hospital, and I also have had a private practice. So one thing I've noticed when working at the hospital, um, I work in an adult IOP, so I do outpatient therapy in groups, and I also do a lot of intakes. Um, so I've developed this sort of, as you mentioned, the mindful creativity as a way to work with the clients. And a lot of them were having a hard time with mindfulness practices, some of the sort of traditional things. But mm-hmm. yet they really um, found themselves engaged when we were doing art. And so I developed different types of art that we could do in a one-hour session and practice mindfulness at the same time. Well, wow, so... You're really combining two uh, really different parts of a person's experience in some way uh, that, mm-hmm. that you know that typically haven't been blended in in therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little different than art therapy. I have 
you know, some people ask, well, is it, is it like art therapy? That's a very different field. I mean, it's a whole type of therapy. Whereas this is sort of a tool, you know, one tool that you can use to deal with um, anxiety or cravings or um, a lot of times our clients suffer from boredom and depression. So uh, the way I developed it, there were two things. One is I do a lot of intakes. And I was noticing a lot of the people, when I would ask them the question, what is something that you used to like to do, but you don't do anymore because you feel depressed or it's not as fun anymore or you lack the motivation? A lot of times people would say, I used to draw or paint or make music or or some sort of creative thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say, well, let's put that in your treatment plan. Let's, let's have you do something creative. Maybe not exactly what you did before, but something a little bit to kind of prime the pump and bring you back. Yeah. And people responded really well to that. Well, I was going to say um, that, and, that sounds like, I mean, it's so non-threatening, right? It's like, let's, let's touch base with something that you felt really inspired by or you felt good about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, doing in the yeah. past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for, for a lot of people, like I said, the, the creativity was the first thing to go, and it wasn't something that was really addressed during their inpatient stay. So a lot of our people come to us from having been inpatient in the hospital. You know, the focus there is a lot more on medication and, you know, how's your mood and um, are you able to work? Uh, so this was something that was a little bit different. And then I would ask them if they wanted to come to my group, which was once a week. Um, And then we would do things in the group that maybe they hadn't done for a while. Uh, One of the activities is finger painting. So a lot of times I'll have people sit down and I'll say, okay, we're going to do some finger painting. And there would be moans and groans and people would say, oh, I don't want to get my fingers dirty. (laughs) And then by the end of the group, everyone's having a blast. You know, it brings you back to that feeling of being a child, which is usually a time when there's a lot less stressors, a lot fewer things to worry about. Right. Right. And so, and kind of what you're describing too, then, you know, there's, there's, there's a similar feel in some ways to art therapy. How, but how does this feel different to you? You know, how would you describe it to someone as being different from art therapy? Well, from what I understand in art therapy, you're doing a lot. The, the therapist is very highly trained in helping to interpret the art and, um, deal with different situations, traumas, things like that, that may be expressed in the art, helping the person to express themselves in the art. Mm -hmm. Um, And because the groups that I lead here at the hospital, it's a little different when I do it one-on-one with a client, but my groups uh, change. So, you know, each week I may have different people in the group. I don't necessarily know what their diagnosis is, so I don't want to go into something that's going to be too overwhelming. You know, I don't want to get into their trauma or something in this one-hour group where I can't really help them if they get triggered. So a lot of what I do is based on uh, the psychologist Mihail Csikszentmihalyi's work, uh, which is based on flow. And that feeling, so this, I can talk a little bit about him in a minute. He researched, he was interested in happiness and researching happiness in the 70s, and he's still working. And he found that people tend to be uh, happiest and energized when in the state of flow where they're challenged, but not challenged too much. Mm-hmm. So I want people to have that experience of flow, and this is one way to create it, is to say, like, okay, we're going to do this project. We're going to use some materials that maybe you haven't used in a while. We're going to uh, make, you know, have them think a little bit about what they're going to make. You know, are you going to make a spirit animal? Are you going to make um, a picture of a place you'd like to visit? 
So there's a little bit of, uh, it's not very passive, it's, it's more active. You have to think a little bit, but it's not mm-hmm. overwhelming. It's right, right in the middle there. Right. <clears throat> so that, I mean, that actually sounds really like it's tied very well to mindfulness, which is all about, mm. it's not so much about thinking, but it's about being present and, mm-hmm. and being attentive in the moment to just what's happening in the moment, right? Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. So how yeah, do these so, things come together? You know, I guess that, that's, a really, that's a really cool dynamic. Right. So a lot of our clients, when we would say, let's practice mindfulness, let's, you know, uh, clearly there's lots of different mindfulness practices, a lot of them really struggled and they would give up or they would get frustrated or even if it's just sort of a brief meditation, the clients would say, well, I can't do it. Um, and so we would talk about what is mindfulness and exactly just what you said. It's one of the definitions is only doing one thing at a time and mm-hmm. staying in the present moment. And when people are doing these art projects, they are naturally doing those things. Right. So some of the very uh, common things that people will say after a session is, I was in the zone. I was in the moment. Nothing else mattered. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I right. could, you know, that, those very, very uh, common phrases are exactly the same thing as um, flow, and they're very similar to that state of, um, yeah, being in mindfulness meditation. Right. So it's, you know, it sounds like a really, um, it's, it's a time when people just feel really rooted and connected yep. and, and the, um, the creative element of that provides some degree of, you know, something to focus on and attend to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, much like, you know, I mean, I, I know of, uh, you know, different mindfulness techniques where you're kind of picking a spot you know, on a wall or, you know, to just focus on while you're trying to sort of get deeper into, you know, state of mindfulness or at least um, deeper awareness, you know. And uh, Mm. But this sounds like it's Mm -hmm. a lot more, there's more activity to it, but more, you know, you're you're, you're expressing yourself in some way. Right. So you have that other dimension, too, of um, personalizing and expressing something and making something. uh, Which is really different from most mindfulness meditations. Usually, you know, at the end of the session, it's over. And right. um, so, uh, so one thing I talk about a lot with clients is uh, mandalas and making mandalas and the Tibetan mandalas. And the interesting thing, and they're very popular now, mandalas, you know, and coloring mm-hmm. books, and, and I do a lot with that too. Mm-hmm. But the original mandalas that the Tibetan monks would make, they're on these tables or on the floor, and they're made of sand. So they're made of colored sand that the monks are blowing through straws. Mm-hmm. beautiful patterns that take sometimes days or weeks to make. And at the end of the session, the model is destroyed. It's all swept up, taken to the nearest body of water, tipped into the water with a, a special uh, ceremony. Wow. And it's meant to show, you know, the impermanence of life and, yep. and this ritual and the art that they made. Um, whereas for us in the West, we want to save it, right? You know, we want to, when we make something, we want to frame it, <laughs> take right. a picture of I'm it. I'm having a visceral reaction to this whole image of, you know, people kind of do, spending all this time and making a beautiful yeah. piece of artwork and then just sort of letting it go. Right. It's very foreign to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still have that. And so one thing I really like is at the end of a session of, of you know, with me of, or whoever of doing the mindful creativity is you have a product. You have uh, a drawing that you made or a sculpture or, 
You may have uh, a painting or sometimes, you know, we, we do a variety of sometimes very simple things like cutting out snowflakes. I have some on my wall right now that I'm looking at. And people love to have that. They love to have something tangible at the end to show other people. It's this visceral feeling of, look what I did. Look what I made. Makes people very happy. Right. Well, there's a feeling of accomplishment with it. And, Mm -hmm. um, like, hey, this is actually something that's still in me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is something I can do, which is really also really important for somebody who's dealing with depression uh, or anxiety or, you know, a lot of the conditions that people come in here with, they feel like they're not really sometimes not not productive or uh, it's not the right word, but, you know, this is something where they can feel like, okay, uh, you know, I made something. I will, you know, something came out of me instead of sort of being a passive recipient of healthcare. Right. Well, and I think that, you know, I mean, certainly in our society, you, know, you really hit the, hit the nail on the head that, you know, the feeling of being productive, you know, the feeling of like mm-hmm. contributing something or the feeling of, you know, having an idea and then seeing it through in the physical mm-hmm. form mm-hmm. is really, really important to people in our society. And there's probably one area where we, where we vary a lot in terms of, uh, you know, other cultures is that, that need to have something to show for our effort. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so um, as we head into the, to the break, um, you know, I think just to kind of, you know, um, recap a little bit, it really sounds like, I mean, there's, there's just a, a wonderful opportunity for people to, to blend both attentiveness and mindfulness, you know, through their creative expression and, um, you know, as a way to kind of start the engagement process and, and open up in therapy. And when we come back mm-hmm. from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the mindfulness piece of it and, and also how this really, uh, you know, what are some of the steps that people take and, uh, you know, uh, from using this kind of a technique early on. So we're going to take a break here for a couple of minutes and we'll be back right after that. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. 
This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. It's the 21st of December in 2015. Our guest today is Katie McRae, and we're talking about mindful creativity for client engagement. And Katie is a licensed clinical social worker at Yale University and Yale New Haven Hospital. Um, so, Katie, just you know, before the break, we were talking a little bit about mindfulness and, you know, one of the things that sort of struck me as, as we were talking about art and expression and, and create, you know, creative expression uh, and pairing that with mindfulness is this principle in mindfulness of being non-judgmental and of just being accepting. And I'm wondering how that plays out. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about sort of what, you know, the, the basic elements of mindfulness and, and why some people struggle with it and then also what, uh, how it plays out as people are, um, you know, uh, starting to use creative elements to blend with it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so one thing I notice when I'm doing a group and we're doing an art activity is that it's a very rich arena for judgment to come up. Mm-hmm. And very, very quickly. So we'll, we'll sit down and sometimes before people even settle in their chairs, they'll say, I'm not creative. I'm not an artist. I'm not good at right. art. That's just, you know, they just put that right out there. And I think part of that comes from our educational system. One thing I've noticed is that uh, we spend a lot of time encouraging kids, very young children, to be artistic and be creative and make art all the time, and we put it on the fridge, and everything, is, everything they make is amazing. And they have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. And at some point, it seems like around 6th uh, or 7th grade, when, when kids are going into middle school or high school, around age 12, they get a very different message, which is, unless you're going to be a professional artist, you can't take art, or you shouldn't take art. You know, this art is only for the people who are really great artists, and they just have this inborn talent, and everybody else should just not do it, basically. Right. So, uh, as adults, uh, I think we still carry that message around, that there are real artists, and everybody else is not an artist. They're fake artists or something. <laughs> right. And, and that creative people are this very rare special breed, and they make these amazing things that show up on Pinterest, and everybody else should just not even bother. Right. So there's a lot of people there who don't fit that description, who, who maybe you know, are not spending all of their time making these incredible works of art, but yet love that feeling of flow, love that feeling of creating something. And one thing I do when, when people sit down to a group with me is, is we'll talk about what is this one part of mindfulness, this judgment, you know, non-judgmental stance. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, we, we talk about, even though people are happy to end up with a product sometimes at the end of the group, we talk about process. So we're going right. to focus on the process, not the product. I'm not going to grade you on this stuff. Whatever you make, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to kick you out of our IOP program if you make something that's not, you know, up to a certain standard. This right. is really just to, the, the making part is the fun. So we, we try to set, the, set a tone there. Um, the other things that we do in the group is I, I tell people, you know, and I, it's a fairly relaxed group, so I tell people you're welcome to, when, once we get started, to kind of chit-chat or, you know, comment on whatever's going on in the group. And I say, if I hear some judgments coming up, I might gently call you out on it. So if you, if you start saying something like, oh, this is terrible, but so-and-so's art is great. I might say, well, what is terrible about what you're making? Why do you feel that way? So that way, when I work with somebody and say, like, when we notice those judgments come up, it gives them a chance to practice releasing the judgment and accepting what they're making, Mm -hmm. which then they can transfer into the rest of their life, noticing judgments about the rest of their life and practicing accepting. And you're really doing it live, so I mean, it's not about it's not. This isn't something you sort of talk about in a therapy office, but there's there's a real experience happening mm, that people mm-hmm. can draw from, right? So right. you can yep. see really firsthand when people are saying, "This isn't working," or "I can't do this," or you know, mm-hmm. "This is awful." This isn't <laughs> no. coming out the way I thought it would. That's a very yeah. common one. It's not coming out the way I wanted it to, and then we can. Uh, relate that to their life. Well, yeah, maybe your life isn't coming out the way you planned it, but that's, this is part of the creative process. Right, right. And so that seems like a great opportunity to be able to help people just sort of say, you know, where else does this happen for you? Exactly. And yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I had this, um, this one woman recently who uh, was, was with me for several weeks, and every time she sat down to do a project... She would say, you know, I like this, but I'm not a creative type. My friend so-and-so, she's the creative one. I'm the, the whatever, the cook or the builder. She had some other sort of identity. Yeah. And she was very clear that this was her identity and her friend was the creative one. And every single week she would make something and really enjoy it and talk about how great it made her feel and how much she was doing, continuing to do it at home and things like that. And the rest of the group members would say to her, and I would say to her as well, like, Wow, you know, you really have pigeonholed yourself. <laughs> you really have, you know, limited yourself. Yeah. And maybe you are also a creative person. A creative person. And, and, and like you mentioned too, how does this relate how does this relate to other parts of your life? Do you tend to pigeonhole yourself in other parts of your life? Right. So, and how do people respond to that? I mean, there, you know, it seems to me like it's just great great um, material, great grist for the mill, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people tend to pick up a lot on, the, on those sorts of analogies, you know, those sort of little mini lessons. Um, we talk a lot about uh, setting goals as well, you know, and sometimes I talk about, well, you know, the goal maybe for tonight, if I try to get people to practice this at home as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll say, you know, maybe for tonight you could... Uh, get some colored pencils or, you know, work on something else related to this, that, you know, some knitting or something else that you can't necessarily do in a group with me, but you might have done in the past. 
Um, All of the projects that I do use very inexpensive materials because I Mm -hmm. want people to be able to do it on their own and not have to rely on a kiln or a fancy uh, silkscreen press or something that they don't really have access to at home. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep things really simple. Right. And how does that, you know, how does that help? I mean, because it seems to me that my, or my assumption is that, you know, keeping it simple builds a sense of sort of mastery and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and accomplishment, but those are also forms of judgment in a way. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would just wonder how, you know, uh, if that ever comes up. Just a sec. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. Yeah, um, so, yeah, and that's actually part of what Mihail Csikszentmihalyi talks about, that sense of mastery. So, you know, a lot of people, um, myself included, enjoy watching TV. Uh, you know, I watch a lot of TV. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, I feel, in, in small degrees, but you're not going to develop mastery. You don't necessarily practice or build on or learn new things about how to create something or... Uh, that kind of knowledge from TV. Um, Whereas, yes, with these projects, you can take them home, you can practice it at home, you can build on it very easily, you can get more materials very easily, and that feeling of mastery is part of flow because it is part of, um, you know, the learning process and the challenge. Uh, you know, if one of the things that that some researchers have found is that if you if you give somebody a task of uh, just coloring in lines, you know, if you give somebody a piece of paper with just a bunch of lines on it and say, okay, color in between the lines, it gets boring. People don't mm-hmm. feel engaged with it. Whereas if you give somebody a piece of paper with a drawing of a mandala on it, it's a little bit more challenging. That's right. engaging. That's something that they may have mastery over choosing the colors or maybe making their own mandala or, you know, adding to it in some way. Right. So, yeah, that challenge. So, um, and if, if you could, just maybe for the audience who aren't familiar with the term, can you describe what a mandala is? Oh, sure, yes. So, nowadays when people uh, look at a mandala, usually it's a circular pattern that has either geometric designs in it or it may have a drawing of uh, animals in it. It might have, you know, different uh, types of shapes in it to color in or paint on. As I was mentioning before, it originally came from Tibetan culture. Okay. And uh, the, the Tibetans actually used mandalas for healing. So they, they had sort of that process that we were talking about, about making the sand mandala and then um, in a ritual uh, destroying it. Mm-hmm. But they also had a lot of uh, painted mandalas and different shapes, uh, different, you know, paint drawings, things like that, and they were literally using them for healing. They would make a mandala for a situation. You could meditate while looking at a mandala. It was Mm -hmm. often a universe, so the circle was sort of the earth, and there were different symbols, different religious symbols inside it. Um, It's loosely translated to mean circle or sacred circle. And like I said, nowadays, pretty much any circular pattern or patterns that are circular in other cultures, such as... um, Native American medicine wheels or Celtic designs or um, labyrinths in uh, medieval Christian designs. Those are sometimes taken to be like mandalas. So that's right. yeah, what we think of nowadays. So, and I think about it as like, you know, um, one form of it is sort of like the kaleidoscope, right? I mean, there's... I mean, mm, 
Yeah. Kaleidoscope is obviously a tool, but, you know, we think about the imagery that's inside of a kaleidoscope, that would be, you know, if you were to put that in a two, two-dimensional form, it would be one type of mind. So just to kind of help our audience sort of visualize that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I know in uh, some of the materials you sent me ahead of, you know, before the show, there was a, a website where people could kind of take a look at uh, or be able to print off some mandalas that they could work from themselves. Yes, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's called printmandala.com, P-R-I-N-T-M-A-N-D-A-L-A.com. Yeah. And it's a, it's a free website. And it's got some beautiful mandalas that people designed, and, and the owners of the website uploaded them, and they're very easy to print off. Uh, I use them all the time, and I, I don't know the owners of the site, but I want to publicly acknowledge them right now <laughs> for providing the service. Oh, that is great. So good. So when we come back from the break, um, you know, we'll, we'll explore more the idea of mindful creativity and um, you know how to get better results for your your clients out there who are uh, in need of a way to focus uh, using art with mindfulness. So we'll be back in a couple minutes after the break. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and it's the 21st of December in 2015. Our guest today is Katie McRae, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and uh, Katie uh, has a number of specialties in her practice, and the one we're focusing on today is mindful creativity for client engagement. So, Katie, um, 
you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about some of the different elements of, of mindful creativity. Um, you know, how does it all come together? You know, what, what does a session look like or what does a group look like? And how, you know, how do you sort of take people through this process? Sure, yeah. So let me start by talking a little bit about what I would do in a group and then with individual clients because I have uh, people who work in different modalities. Uh, so again, I used to uh, exclusively work with groups. Now I also do individual clients. And what we would do is in the beginning, there's sort of a lot of restlessness. People are coming to group and maybe they haven't turned their phones off or they're trying to find a seat. So we would spend the first uh, five minutes or so doing a warm-up exercise. And that's often something, like I mentioned before, with the finger paints, or it might be uh, cutting out a snowflake, just something to get people a little bit physically grounded. Mm -hmm. And then we spend the next uh, five minutes or so, depending on how much time we have, doing a guided meditation. And I really like that because, again, it helps people who are not used to being quiet and meditating have something for them to fix their mind on a little bit the sound of my voice, the description of what we're going to do. And usually I would make something up. I would make up a guided meditation based on the creative process and, and, you know, letting things flow out of you. So that really helps to get people grounded and sort of in the mind state to create. And while they're creating, oftentimes they have sort of um, free associations, so they, during a therapy session, they may think of other things that they wouldn't normally think about, you know, letting their mind wander a little bit while they're coloring or painting or whatever the project is. Um, so the, some of the techniques that I use, uh, I'm so glad you brought up that website, the printmandala.com. It's got some lovely, lovely images on it. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have another website called colormandala.com where you can use a computer program to make your own mandalas. Oh, cool. So I've used that before and made some really intricate geometric mandalas using that program. Uh, so one thing that's really important to me is when people sit down, especially if it's a coloring project, I want them to experience something more than just coloring. So we're not, mm-hmm. it's not that we're just sitting and coloring for an hour, right? Because right. that's something right. that you could do at home. That's not necessarily therapeutic. Right. So often, you know, aside from doing the meditation before and then we do a closing meditation at the end we, and, and talking about mindfulness during the session, I often give people a challenge. And one of my favorites is tell people, pick your favorite mandala. I've got four or five different ones here. But you have to use your three least favorite colors to color it in. <laughs> oh, people are so mad. <laughs> Again, they're like, a lot of people kind of groan and they're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Right. And the funny thing is, you know, and then we talk about like aversion, you know, and that's a big thing in, in mindfulness. That's a big thing in Buddhism is, is aversion, and trying right. to escape things, how that causes more suffering. Right. Or we'll just talk about, well, as people are coloring, why are these your least favorite colors? You know, it's like, well, that was the color of my school growing up, or these are the colors my mom forced me to wear. wear. Right. You know, literal things like that. Yeah. And inevitably at the end, when we share, you know, we have sort of a show and tell at the end, uh, the colors often look great together. And one person's least favorite colors turn out to be somebody else's favorite colors. You know, the, the finished product is often just amazing in a way that the person never could have anticipated. 
So, it's, you know, I mean, it sounds yep. like there's just um, great opportunity then. So, you know, you, you start off sort of warming people up um, and, you know, sort of uh, prep both the, the, the hands, if you will, and the mind and, you know, to kind of get into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then use every every experience that they're having in the moment to kind of try to draw some insight about about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So does this work differently when you're doing individual work with people as opposed to a group? Yeah, I say I think it does because one of the things um, some things are better suited to groups, for example, and some things are better suited to individuals. So. Okay. Uh, one of the other techniques I use is soul collage, which is um, a copyrighted process of making these very, very intimate, very specific collage cards that are about um, 8 by 11 inches. And um, there's a, so the website explains it in, in more detail, S-O-U-L-C-O-L-L-A-G-E.com. Okay. Um, and that works really well in groups or with individuals. So, but it takes a lot of time, so it might sometimes it's better suited to the individual process. Um, mm-hmm. Other things that I might do with an individual. So I, I usually, I always, if I'm working in a group, I join in the activity. I'm not going to okay. tell somebody to do something and then just sit back because I think okay. that sends a message of, it sends a message that it's not worth my time. Or, or that maybe yeah. it's not something that I do. Right. It's, it's kind of alienating. The, on the other hand, when I'm working with somebody one-on-one, I don't want to become too absorbed in what I'm doing, <laughs> so I'm not listening right. to them. Right. So that's a fine line. So in, in, in it sounds like in group, you know, doing this in a group, you're trying to create a sense of safety as well. Like, it's okay. You know, this is how we do it. Yeah. This is what we do. Yeah. As opposed to an individual where it's, you know, you've kind of, it's naturally more, maybe more safe because it's one-on-one and, you know, you're really trying to focus maybe on a specific, you're focusing more on a specific individual, you know, as opposed to what you can do in a group. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, in the individual therapy, often there's already that sense of confidentiality, safety, intimacy. Um, I find it works very well with adolescents that oftentimes it helps them to sort of center themselves Yep. Um, often, if uh, if somebody's having a hard time sort of warming up or speaking, they're a little self-conscious. You know, having something to do, some some sort of doodling or something will lower their inhibitions. Mm-hmm. Um, it really also depends on the person and the situation. Uh, there's another technique again that I learned um, called Zentangle. Z e n T-A-N-G-L-E. And there's a website and a description of how to do that. Okay. So that's something, it's, it's sort of meditative doodling. That's something that people can do during a session. And there's actually some interesting research. There was one research study that came out in 2009 about how people can retain information more effectively if they're doodling. So okay. they would play this tape of you know information. You know, there's a, a whole lot of there are a whole lot of nuns out there who have told us for years not to you know be doodling in class. Yeah, you know exactly. We're saying what you know. Yeah, so I, did, I, I tell does. my clients, you know, you're welcome to to draw or doodle gr- during group because I understand for some people it helps them to 
be more attentive in the group as long as you're participating in the group. Right. It, you know, there's, there are people, and myself included, who will doodle in order to check out. Yeah. But if you're doodling to keep your mind occupied and not daydream, yep. then by all means, as right. long as you have something to say and you're listening to other people in the group, I think for some people it's an advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it, it really is fascinating sometimes when, you, when, you, when people have the opportunity to just sort of, again, sort of not completely disregard, but, you know, to sort of relax a little bit about some of the norms and get themselves to a point of feeling comfortable how much they can open up. You know, yeah. whether that comfort comes from, like you said, you know, doodling or maybe, you know, swinging back and forth in a swivel chair, um, mm-hmm. you know, finding some rhythm or expression that, that works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Music, can really, everything like that. Can really mm-hmm. facilitate, yeah. Yeah, and, and also with individuals, I am able to do a little bit more of the interpretive work or the self-expression work. Again, I don't want to go too much into realms that I'm not trained in, like, mm-hmm. like trauma work. Yeah. <laughs> but with the collage, especially, we can do a lot more in terms of family dynamics and, you know, cut out pictures of people that represent different people in your family. Right. Um, cutting out... Uh, collage is really powerful because you get these very nice images and, and, again, people are not so hung up on their drawing or painting skills. Yep. You know, it's more about your cutting and pasting skills, which most people are pretty confident about. Right. So <laughs> I like that that medium very much. And and in soul collage, you actually are cautioned to not use words. So oftentimes when we're making a collage or, or you know, in teenagers making a collage for their room, we'll often cut out inspirational phrases like you can do it or, you know, you're the best or whatever it is. But in this technique, you typically don't cut out any words, and so the images really have to be interpreted. And the images are the things that people focus on and they speak through right. the, the collage. So that's a really, um, that has a lot of room for self-expression and tr- interpretation. Whereas okay. the mandalas, you know, that's, that's more of just like the coloring process. Right. Right. And whereas the soul collage is really more about kind of representation and, um, yes. and expressing how you're feeling through the actual selection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, situations, yeah. ways of feeling. Yeah, exactly. Archetypes, it's very tightly based on Jungian archetypes. So you're, each card might have an archetype of a facet of you and your personality. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very intimate in that way. Right, right. Wow. So um, there's really, a, I mean, there, it seems like there's a lot of options to be able to, to you know, kind of fuse, again, the sort of uh, artistic creation and, um, and mind, mindfulness together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there, you know, are there particular um, conditions or you know particular things that people work on in, in therapy that are are better suited for this type of therapy? Yes, I I would say um, off the top of my head, there's a, a couple things that. Uh, come up very frequently that I use this for. A lot of people who come into our program or who I work with individually struggle with rumination. Okay. So I've also studied that a little bit. Um, yep. there, here at Yale, we actually had a researcher named Susan Nolan-Hoeksema who, who studied rumination. 
and would set up control studies and kind of see what were the conditions of it. And uh, almost everybody at some point in their life ruminates, but some people are more prone to it. Right. And the, the trouble is that when you ruminate, you know, you're sort of thinking of a problem over and over and thinking you're going to come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. And the more you think about it, usually the less likely you are. The further away, to come up with an answer. further away you get from it, right? What's up? The further away you get from it. Yeah, yeah. From Often it's a problem yeah. that doesn't really have a, a pat answer yeah. in that moment. Right. You know, it might be like a loved one is sick and you're worried about what's going to happen, but the worrying and the thinking about it doesn't affect the outcome. Right. And it just makes right. you more depressed. Right. We're going to give our audience two minutes to ruminate about that uh, <laughs> over the break here. Uh, okay. Sorry for the bad, that was really bad humor, but we're going we're gonna to come back after the break uh, and we can uh, talk a little bit more about how this technique is helpful for people who are having trouble letting go of some of those thoughts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And welcome back to One Hour at a Time, everybody. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And I'm happy that we've been able to spend uh, the last 45 minutes or so with our our guest today, Katie McRae, who's a licensed clinical social worker uh, for Yale University and Yale New Haven Hospital. And Katie uh, is a consultant and an educator for therapists, um, and her fields of interest really include technology, but also mindful creativity, which is what we've been talking about today. Now, just before the break, we were talking about applying mindful creativity to a particular aspect of, uh, you know, that, that becomes a challenge for people at different points in time. 
and uh, uh, that's rumination. And you know, rumination is essentially you know trying to trying to solve a problem by thinking about it over and over and over again, but never really really getting anywhere with that. And um, you know, I know that uh, you know rumination is really associated both with you know with actually with a number of um, mental health conditions as well as uh, substance abuse and. Um, so I think this is a really uh, you know pertinent area for us to cover a little bit. Yeah. So can um, you, you know tell us a little bit about kind of you know what what effect r- rumination has on a person and, and how we use uh, mindful creativity to work on that. Sure. So as you mentioned, it is tightly associated with depression, anxiety. Um, like I mentioned before, most people do it from time to time, but there are some people who are more prone to do it. And so in her research, Susan Nolan Hoeksema found that some people are sort of more predisposed to ruminate and that once people get started, it's very hard to break that cycle. It feels like it's productive. It feels like, okay, here's this problem. I have to solve it. But as you become more depressed, you actually have a hard time accessing the other parts of your brain that might help you come up with a solution or if there is no solution to stop thinking about it for a while. Okay. Uh, so one thing that she found or several things that she found, but one of the sort of interventions was to do an interrupting activity for at least eight minutes. And that interrupting activity had to be something that was engaging. It wasn't necessarily watching TV. It wasn't doing something that was not helpful, like uh, a drug or something like that, which although it would interrupt the activity, it wasn't something that was kind of healthy. Um, So she researched what were some healthy interrupting activities. And uh, I found actually a research paper that she and Michal Csikszentmihalyi, who I mentioned before studied flow, had collaborated on. And uh, unsurprisingly, (laughs) one of the ideas that they came up with is is an activity that puts you into the flow state. So what I found with my clients is that a lot of times when they are at home and they're ruminating or they're having a craving, I work with a lot of people with substance abuse problems, Mm -hmm. they will go and get out a project. And that this is something they came up with on their own. They would come back to me. We would do a session on a Friday. They'd come back to me on a Monday, and they'd say, wow, you know, I had this really strong craving, or I was feeling really down, or I was thinking about my ex, and I got out my mandalas and my, my pencils, and I started coloring, and I forgot about it. And maybe it came back, but for that period of time, the brain had a break. Mm-hmm. It had a rest. It had some energy put into it instead of taken out of it. And that helped them to get through the weekend without self-harming or without using a drug or without becoming more depressed and isolating at home. You know, it was very helpful in terms of getting out of that state and doing some other things as well. Right. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of an excerpt, uh, I think, that, that you had sent, and it's from Susan Nolan Hoeksema. Um, it talks about rumination and, you know, why it's so important for this to, you know, uh, to be addressed. Rumination exacerbates and prolongs distress, particularly depression, through several mechanisms. One, it enhances the effects of depressed mood on thinking. Two, it interferes with effective problem solving, in part by making thinking more pessimistic and fatalistic. Uh, Three, it interferes with instrumental behavior, which leads to increases in stressful circumstances. And four, people who chronically ruminate will lose social support, which in turn fuels their depression. So, I mean, that sounds like, you know, mm-hmm. when people are able to break that up, um, you know, the, there's really the potential for some serious positive impact. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's so powerful. And especially that last one, too, because the the losing social support, what she found is that for certain people, when they had a problem, they would talk about it with their friends or family. And initially, yeah. they would get some support. People would say, oh, yeah, that is terrible. Or, oh, you know, I hope you get your you know, get your job back soon. But the more they talked about it with other people, eventually the other people would get burned out. And so they would lose social support and become more depressed. Right. So eight minutes is all it takes? Uh, That's what she says. (laughs) (laughs) To break that up. No, I think that's... Yeah, I mean, it took about eight minutes to get people off of whatever they were ruminating about. Well, I, I, I highlight that because I think for people who, you know, either struggle with this, you know, uh, or just becoming aware that, wow, that's a tendency, it doesn't feel overwhelming to think about doing something for eight minutes. Right. right? I mean, as opposed Manageable to saying you need to, go, you need to go through weeks and weeks and weeks of therapy. You know, you can start right. with just eight minutes of breaking it up and then talk about right. that with somebody and, you know. Uh-huh. Which I think is, you know, really ties nicely to... Mindfulness as well, because it's all about keeping it simple and right. um, you know simplicity and, and and just sort of you know again whether you're just focusing on your breathing for that period of time, uh, you know, or um, you know engaging in a zentangle or a, a mandala. You know, it's just it doesn't take a lot of time to yeah, and it's not as uh, intimidating. Make, People when when they hear meditation, they think, oh, I have to sit on a cushion for hours at a time, or I have to clear my mind or reach nirvana. And it's, it's really very non-threatening to say, well, hey, you know, you could color and finger paint for a while. It's not the same as meditation, but it is a type of mindfulness. Right. It can get you right. some really powerful results. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and, you know, I think there are a lot of studies that show that short, short interventions uh, you know, can help develop really solid new habits. I mean, there's seven-minute workouts. There's, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, everything can be broken down into things that are sort of the essential components so that they become more palatable and uh, you know, easier to try. Yeah, and I, I love, I'm glad you picked up on that eight-minute thing because not only does it only take eight minutes, but if you start to do something for eight minutes, chances are you're going to do it longer. Right. If you, you know, if you start coloring, I, I can't tell you how many times I've just been absorbed and I want to keep going and I just want to finish it so badly. I really just, you know, the momentum builds. And that's another technique I use with my clients for anything. You know, if they're trying to get to the gym or if they're trying to clean their room or something that they really don't have the oomph to do, I'll say, well, why don't you do it for 30 seconds? Right. Why don't you do one push-up? And 99% of the time, once they've done that one, you know, that very ridiculously easy thing, they'll continue with the task and, and right. get that feeling of accomplishment. Right. Which is so important, when you, you know, for depression in particular. So, um, you know, we're, as we're coming to a close, uh, Katie, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, I know that our, our listeners will be interested in learning about how they can get more information. So uh, if you want to let folks know, you know, uh, about your website and uh, other resources that sure. they might use. Then, yeah, so my website is uh, com. So that's K-A-T-Y-M-A-C-R-A-E.com. And there's a variety of information on there. You can also email me. My email is Katie, K-A-T-Y, at katiemacrae.com, K-A-T-Y-M-A-C-R-A-E.com. 
And I send things out from time to time. I'm happy. I made a little ebook of mandalas that people can use, therapists can use, or clients can use on their own. So I'm happy to send that out to people, and it has a lot of the information that I've just shared today. Awesome. Uh, so feel free to email me for that, or um, you know, take a look around the site. It talks a lot about a mindful creati- creativity course that doesn't exist yet. So don't okay. get confused. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> it's in the works. That's helpful. That's great. Yeah. Well, Katie, thanks, thanks again for coming on the show today. And for all our listeners out there, uh, from everybody here at Westbridge and the One Hour at a Time show, I just want to wish you all happy holidays. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you again in the new year. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.